and uh, we'll be getting on to the message today. I've been contemplating whether what to speak, what to preach. That's been running through my head for last few weeks. I know that I was doing First John. I thought should I continue to continue, not to continue, was the question. Then I realized I'll stick on to the portion. Please turn to First John chapter three. It's a long portion, today's message, I mean the reading portion. I have this thing of whenever the portions are big, I tend to get distracted in between. So I request, now that I'm preaching, please don't get distracted while reading the long portion today. It's First John chapter 3, we'll be reading the whole chapter, followed by chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. The theme of the message is about love. The whole chapter, whole portion deals with love of God, love of man, the devil comes in between and love the church. Now the first portion, chapter 3, when we read through that, till uh, verse 10, it talks about the love that God had shown to us believers. Then from verse 11 to the end of chapter 3, it talks about the love we must show to one another. And from four, chapter 4, verse 7 to 21, it's about our love towards God. We know that the primary commandment which God gave if God had a Twitter account, what would his Twitter status be? Love God, love his people. Or love God, love your neighbor. As for Christians, it's another level. We have to show an extra love towards our fellow believers. I mean, in Galatians, and it talks about that in uh, New Testament. Now, let's, let's read the portion, chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the Lord... Why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who does hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes the practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Verse 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we are passed out to death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our life, our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the word's goods and sees his brother in need, 
yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit he has given us. The last portion, chapter 4, verse 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, a propiti- be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that Father, that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfect, by this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, also are we in this world. Verse 18. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must love his brother. Whoever loves God must love his brother. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time. Help me, Lord, as I preach, Lord, and open your word to the the church. Guide me, help me, Lord, to get the right words to preach. And pray, O Lord, for everyone sitting here that everyone will be receptive to this portion. The most precious name we pray. Amen. We've been uh, meditating some time back on the great death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like right from the beginning, Pradeep was taking us through the sequence of events that happened at the cross. Jesus Christ coming to this earth as God in flesh. In chapter 3, the first portion, the first verse, is a common song we used to sing, many of us used to sing in Sunday school. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called children of God and we do parts and it goes on in an endless loop yeah that's a very good song and that is that's one of the most important teachings of Christianity and you understand what is this love of God that he shed on us I mean we, we heard of this phrase agape love it's sometimes it's very hard to even explain what this agape love is I mean there's different kinds of love friends have to each other husband wife has or the kind of love we have to the outside world 
the love which god has on his church is totally different it's sometimes it's so hard to explain it's beyond human comprehension that's why it says behold what man behold it's like in esv it says see what kind of love the father has given that we should be called children of god and as we see in romans we know that when the holy spirit works in our hearts it leads us to cry out abba father it's that spirit of sonship that comes in us because of what god has done in us and it's awesome that this spirit holy spirit working in us when we cry out abba father it's a, it's an act of worship and the next portion as we go down it talks about sinning many in romans 6 there's a, there's a verse this first verse that starts of says just because you're a believer does that mean you can keep on sinning and everyone who practices in here in verse chapter 3 verse 4 says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness is it practical for is it possible for a believer to sin yes is it possible for is it possible for him to live a life of continued sin in with no qualms about it it's not possible because if you read in i'll just read this verse from uh, romans 6 one second in romans 6 it says verse 15 what then are we to sin because we are not under the oops wrong verse verse 12 let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make your obey its passions do not present your members as sin in to sin as instruments for unrighteousness but present yourselves to god who have been brought from who have been brought from death to life and your members to god as instruments for righteousness that portion also talks about we have been slaves to sin and because of god working in our lives we are now slaves to righteousness and also in chapter 3 as you come down an important aspect which we need to understand is in verse 8 whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the sin, devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil now we saw that what god has worked in our lives and made us his children and being children there's a kind of lifestyle we have to follow because of the great love god has god has shown to us on the cross now once we become believers there's a process of sanctification like in verse 4 we want to purify ourselves or trusting in him we're looking forward for the day when we'll be with Christ and during this time of sanctification we tend to sin because we are still in flesh we can't escape it there's nothing called sinless perfection we tend to sin because we are in this flesh but how do we go about it if we live a life of continued sin there's some spelling mistake in our life there's something wrong about it that's when god comes and says who has sins which is portion which we read who makes a practice of sinning is of the devil and then he brings about the portion of what happened from the beginning and the reason why son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil it's important that we understand this before you go to the next part which talks about loving god and loving one another what is the game plan what is the sequence of events that starts from genesis and right till revelation if you look in genesis it starts off with here it talks about the devil and what happens in the beginning and the reason son of god came was to destroy the works of the devil in creation in the beginning god the triune god created heavens and the earth god the father god the son god the holy spirit the triune god there's a game plan god is was he lonely that time is so bored that okay i'm bored let me just make the earth now no he was totally complete he was so full and he was loving he lacked nothing so god in his awesomeness and in his glory creates earth and we know the story in 6 days earth uh, 
earth was created then comes adam eve then comes devil he comes and deceives god says something to adam and eve satan comes and deceives them into saying did god actually say that the first lie i mean he is the epitome of sin satan and he comes and deceives sin deceives eve and that leads to adam also falling into the trap then what happens god curses them in chapter 3 god curses adam puts a curse on the earth and on the on the devil and one interesting verse which he tells satan is in chapter 3 don't i'll read it out john genesis 3 verse 15 he says i'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel and in, it's interesting that in the in the sequence of curses that god is putting on on satan he puts in a phrase saying the seed of the woman is going to come and you shall bruise his heel you shall bruise his heel but he's going to bruise your head which means the seed of the seed of the woman that one day it's like a prophecy to the what's going to happen it's all planned because in god and his in in his plan for the world is planning to send jesus christ one day to this earth so when bruce when the bruising of the heel is supposed to mean satan may cause jesus to suffer and then satan and jesus like i'll just read it in the midst of the curse he's given hope to adam and eve christ will defeat satan and satan will be able to bruise only his heel rather cause him to suffer while christ will bruise satan's head destroy him with a fatal blow and we must and we must also understand that as christians in our daily walk as we cling to the cross we are participating with god in the crushing of satan's head satan's head now coming to the next portion it talks about loving god and loving his people i remember in, in school many of you must have noticed i mean uh, in my school at least when the it's in when you're third standard or something when the teachers come inside the class you're supposed to sing the song good morning teacher you guys know that you guys also sang the song no you didn't sing it he didn't sing it <laughs> okay it's like when the teacher comes in it's a rule you have to get up and sing or say however because the students saying good morning becomes boring they give a tune to it good morning teacher that they enter there's some teachers who is to come and demand if some student doesn't doesn't get up who's writing some notes makes him get up sing the song I mean, say greet me as i come in and this person will get up and say oh, good morning teacher and we had a math sir a very really handsome anglo indian guy used to come with suit come not a suit the box come open the bo- open the bo- box take the book and then says good morning he says like in style and all of us are like good morning we just jump because we just love his style and he's an awesome sir what's the difference here one guy is demanding respect this guy is too cool he deserves respect he doesn't come and beg for please say good morning to me nothing like that we want to praise him now when you look at this portion love god love his people is god so desperate for our love is he so desperate is like i need this guy to love me so let me write some portion. how is it what, what what goes through our mind when we read portions like that god says love your brothers love your sisters love love the world mission wise i mean what was john thinking i mean practically let's face it, it's not easy to always love one another is it another law it's like okay i have to love okay i have to love this guy how much ever it's not practically easy what do i need to exist in this church it's is it that easy it's not easy at times and 
even through the portions of the Bible, right through in New Testament, many of the apostles admonish and tell, they keep telling the church, early church, like in Galatians 6 verse 10, do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of faith. Thessalonians 3 verse 12, increase and abound in love for another and for all the people. But we know that sometimes it's not easy to do that. And Jesus in Genesis 3, sorry, in John chapter 13 verse 34, this is a commandment he gives to his disciples. It's a, a day or so before, the time of, I think it's after the Passover, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. By this, all people, that's the whole world, will know that you are my disciples, if you, are, if you have love for one another. It's 2014 now. What does the world think about Christians? We've been singing and praising God about the awesome love he's done. He shed awesome love that is demonstrated on the cross. He's helped, he's saved us, and he's blessed us in our, day, in, in our daily activities. He's, he's an awesome God, yes. We love him for that. We tend to love one another because of whatever reasons. Now, here comes, what is the world in this year? It's 2014. Jesus says, by this, by the love that you have for one another, the world will know it. By, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love for one another. If you look at the sequence, we know many cases. What are Christians known for? Movies. What have, is, this always, is a Muslim guy is always a devout person, very, does his namaz at the right time. The Hindus are always depicted as very sincere, the sedhus and all these guys. Whereas the Christians are always the totally crazy fellows. I mean, this is what the world thinks of us. Let's face it. And they are the guys who are always shrewd, cunning mentality, really rich people. And also in our work circles, I know many of you may notice, in our work circles, it's usually Christians are known to be the ones who are awesome drunkards. Especially if you're a mallu. I know many of you are not. Many people are told, you're a mallu and you don't drink? I mean, it's, they are the life of the party at that day. They, they act crazy. And who are they? They are the Syrian Christians. This is what the world thinks of Christians. And here we are also, I mean, how long, what is, there's something totally wrong in our system and our own unbeliever friends tend to look on Christians, have this kind of focus on Christians. Oh, he's a Christian because his grandfather, grandfather became a Christian. So it's become like that. Do we have the love which Jesus is talking about here, what God is talking about, love one another, the sincere love that we have to show to one another. Now, when it comes to love, the different kinds of love that we See around. Now, commonly, you know, this, uh, think of a honeymoon couple in the lovey-dovey moments, and they're going, walking down the beach or wherever. Two scenarios, all right? Two scenarios. The person, the husband comes and says to the wife, darling, you, you mean everything to me. The common sequence of dialogues, right? You're awesome. I can't live without you. Your smile is just beautiful. Your humor is awesome. Your hair is lovely. I love you. That's one scenario. Scenario two. Honey, your hair is very oily. You stink. Your breath is really bad. Your hair is so oily that I can service my bike with it. I mean, we can go on and on. You're so hopeless. I love you. Which one is most likely to have a healthy... Which one of these two 
likely to a healthy relationship. The first one. Now, when God comes and says, we've been studying, hearing about, we've been having a time of worship and everything. When God says, I love you, comes and says to the church, I love you. Let me again give you two scenarios. Does he mean, Stancy, you mean everything to me. I can't live without you. Your personality, your smile, everything is awesome. I'll stop the earth from rotating because I want to pursue you. You're really wonderful. I love you like crazy. Or does God say, morally speaking, you are people deserving my wrath. Your deeds, your best of your deeds are like filthy rags in front of me. You're totally depraved. You are in sin. But I love you anyway. Not because you're attractive, but because it's my nature of love. And I've set my affection on you before the foundations of the universe. I predestined you. You're wiser. I chose to love your mind, and you will be transformed. Nothing in all creation can separate you from me because of what I have done through my, lo- through my son, Jesus Christ. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's important to understand who are we first of all, and why did God choose to love us. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis. An impersonal God, well and good. A subjective God of beauty, truth, and goodness inside our heads, better still. A formless life force surging through us, a vast power that, can, that we can tap, best of all. But the God of the Bible, alive, pulling at the other end of the cord, perhaps approaching at an infinite speed, the hunter, king, husband, that is quite another matter. When we understand the agape love, which is like, it will take... Eternity to, eternity to understand what is agape love about. We need to understand that he pursues his children. He loves us. That is a kind of love that God showed, demonstrated in the cross. Why did it have to happen? What was happening? The reason the cross came was for God to demonstrate his glory to all of us. Right from the day one when he put the curse on Satan, he was like planning the sequence of events right to the moment when Christ died on the cross. When we shall be Serving him. Now, when it comes to relationships, I mean, do you love, I mean, it comes to loving one another, loving God. I mean, quite frankly, I mean, I'm also to be blamed. There's usually something called a give and take relationship. The kind of you scratch my back, I scratch yours thing. That's supposed to mean, you know, in my company, there was this guy, at least now he's better, till a year back, he's such a pain to me. I have never seen him as always. He's in Hyderabad office, so we are mainly on chat and phone calls. So we both have to work some, when there's a task, we both have to work together. For some reason, he just hates me. He's never seen me. He's never done it. We never had a personal relationship. It's just chat or phone calls. He used to really annoy me. I used to wonder, why does he hate me? I don't know if he did. He sneak and see my Facebook picture. I had no idea why. He just used to hate me. And I even reached a point when I had to complain to my manager about it. But in the company... To exist in the company, I have to tolerate him or live with him. And there is some contract in the company. I, the more I fulfill the purpose of the company with him, I'll get my perks, I'll get my salary, likewise for him. So we just tolerate each other and live, and live it out. How is it in our churches? When it comes to churches, loving one another, for what joy? Jesus says, yes, love one another. Is it like the uh, class teacher who comes and says, love me, love me, say good morning to me? Is that, kind, is that the kind of love that we show to one another? Let's live, it's like, okay, Kishore, so let's live, let's l- do things together and let's make sure you don't cross the limits, I don't cross the limits, we don't annoy each other. 
because we have to do church. It's like the company thing. Or, and also, that, that's a, that's, sadly, that's a kind of, let's exist together because we have to do church. You do your spiritual gifts there, I'll do mine here. And let's, uh, in companies, we report to manager. Okay, here we'll report to the elder. Any problems, complain to my elder. I mean, we don't say that. Is that what runs in our mind? Why do we come to church? What is our people, the people of church? It's the Christian group, it's the church. It's not the building. We all know that. And I mean, this, this is what I said, the give and take relationship. I'll serve you, you serve, you don't cross the limits. Now, when it comes to serving God, loving God, do we have that kind of a relationship with God? Are we self-centered like in our personal relationships with each other? I'm not saying everyone do it. At times, people tend to do that. Many people, it's very common, especially people growing up in places, churches where the gospel is assumed and the nature of God is assumed. There's a kind of morality that happens. We tend to, even, we tend to be regular to church meetings, be a good boy or girl and watch, don't watch any kinds of bad movies or uh, only movies which has Jesus in that is supposed to be good movies. You're trying to be the best of the best of the best behaviors. You're active in church. You're fulfilling all the Christian requirements and, and, you watch, and you're very mission-minded. You do everything. And one day, something bad happens to you. Something nasty, your best friend dies or you're sick, you lost your job. Something really comes and hits you on your face. What is that that runs your head? Lord, I did this, I did this, I did this. This is how you treat me. We tend to sometimes have that kind of an attitude. I mean, it's, and you tend to have this kind of attitude towards God sometimes. Especially people coming from Christian homes. You fulfill all the Christian requirements. You go to college when you're free. You flunk one or two subjects. Or you don't get the job you have. You question. Or you, many, many, Christian, many men and women tend to leave church once they reach colleges. Why is that? They've been awesome people till they're 12th or something. You, you expect. It's more like you did this much for God. You expect something. Nothing. When, this, when, you hit the, when the rubber hits the road, you tend to have that attitude... I did all this, you owe me. Is that the attitude that we have? So what is this relationship that we need to have when it comes to loving God, loving one another? We need to just, there's a kind of relationship that Bible talks about, which is the covenant relationship. We, this word is not very commonly used in our circles because in, our, in the present modern world, because it's not common. It's not, that word has no value these days. When God talks to Adam and Eve, right from the whole of the Bible, there's something called a covenant relationship that he has. Now, let me explain covenant relationship. We know what contract is. Let's say uh, Hansel is doing a business, maybe what, bakery business or something, and I want to, I want some of his services. So there's something called a contract. You write, okay, Hansel does this part of, the bus- this part of his job, and once I'm satisfied the service at this particular time, good, enough. And sometimes there's some contracts have something called the penalties. There's a penalty attached to it. That gives some backbone to the contract. So when there's a penalty attached to it, the contract becomes a little more, uh, what do you say, really strong. He'll be very... Uh, huh? Accountable, thank you. You can stand next to me. He will be accountable to the contract and I'll also, because both of us respect the written contract that we have. Because, because the scary part is there's a penalty to it. He can't loaf around saying, ah, he's a believer, chalta, I'll do it after one year. No. There's, 
it comes business you need to have this there's some kind of contract even in your companies you sign the thing the offer letter or whatever so some the rules and regulations and the conditions apply behind it you know they give those ads in the tv for instance mutual funds are for the dialogue that comes mutual fund subject to subject risk all these conditions that come behind it it's like a disclaimer so there is a penalty attached to contract now when it comes to christian life a relationship with god or even with one another it has to be a covenantal relationship covenant relationship is kind of relation god has with his people and his people are to have with one another i mean it's more like i will be committing to my needs more i'll be committing to your needs even if it involves parting with my freedom i'll sacrificially do my part of the bargain or the relationship with you because we are in a covenant with our lord the common now just one small portion let's turn to uh, deuteronomy 29 this portion talks about is about moses speaking to the israelites if you understand last week as uh, i was leading worship i was sharing about how the israelites the move that they had from egypt the time of bond, they were in bondage of sin and slavery god rescued them at the time of the i mean we know the story of the passover what happens that night in a miraculous way god saves them and he then he leads them to the promised land he's sustaining them till the day they reach the promised land so the sequence of events that happens and moses in deuteronomy 29 we'll read what he calls to the people of, Mo, of israel was turn to deuteronomy 29 i'll just read few verses from this it's a long portion let's read verse 2 to 9 and moses summoned all israel and said to them you have seen all that the lord did before your eyes in the land of egypt to pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land the great trials that your eyes saw the signs and to those great wonders therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all you do verse 18 go down to verse 18 beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the lord your god to go and serve the gods of other nations verse 21 and the lord will single him out from all tribes of israel for calamity in accordance with all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law this is something called a covenant relationship god is having with israelites there are so many covenants that's there right from genesis when you look into it he's having a covenant relationship and we know that this is a picture of how our life is like same like the israelites got saved from the bondage of sin we are saved from our total deprived nature we are saved we are leading a life of sanctification till the day we see christ it's an ongoing process and we are supposed to be in a covenant with god now this covenant if you look into it it talks about the law there's a law that god has put the love of god is also there and also there's a curse attached to it we saw in a contract how there's a penalty attached the covenant of god has a curse attached to it now this curse if you look in genesis 15 that's a long chapter it's a the scene when god is telling abraham to to do a lot of things like he has to do some special kind of sacrifice as an act of making a covenant with god it involves it's not just okay let's it's not a simple sentence that god says to abraham genesis 15 we could uh, look into it later sometime it's a task of preparation abraham had to go through to get into a covenant relationship with god and yes there was a curse attached to it and this curse came in by breaking 
if you break the covenant, covenant like we saw in Deuteronomy 29, the curse comes in. But one thing we need to understand as Christians, the curse that was due on us, the curse that we had to endure, Jesus Christ fulfilled the conditions of that covenant. Rightly, all of us have broken the covenant. The curse attached to breaking of the covenant was taken up by Christ when he died on the cross for us. We know that with a verse in Galatians or somewhere. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. Why did Jesus have to die on the cross for us? I mean, some people say, why, why couldn't a lethal injection or some other alternative? As per God's standards, as per his game plan right from the beginning, it, he had to go through that proceed, the true, he had to go through that walk to Golgotha. Golgotha. He had to die on the cross because he had to take the curse that was due on us. We know that we are children of wrath. We often, during worship, we talk about Ephesians 2. We are children of wrath by nature, but God in his love saved us. Jesus fulfilled the conditions of the covenant so that God could love us unconditionally. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Because as per God's legal standards, we have, broke the, we have totally broken it. And as per legal standards, only substitute is God sending Jesus to take our role of the curse. To, to take the curse on him. And now when you understand the awesomeness of this covenant, that God has done everything, we have done nothing, that's again the gospel. More you understand and enjoy the gospel, the nitty-gritty details of it, all that can lead you is, we want to serve him. We want to love him. We are not like the person, God, like the uh, Muslims believe, the Allah who demands respect. We go because he, we love him, like we read earlier, we love him because he first loved us. He did everything. And that gives us the pull, the push, because the Holy Spirit in us, we cry out, Abba, Father, we go. And we love him because of the covenant we have with him. And now, part of the covenant involves, God has saved us. He saved the church. We saw the sequence from Genesis 1. He saved the church for a purpose. That's for his glory. If we claim to love him, like the Bible says, but don't love our brothers whom we see, we are living in sin. So our love for one another Instead of, it has to be a little more deeper. Something more like a covenant relationship we have with one another. When it comes to covenant relationship, the life stories, I mean, we know about wedding vows, marriage covenant. That's a common phrase that we, uh, common covenant we see in our circles. As uh, when the couple stands in the stage, the person solemnizing comes and says, do you uh, so-and-so take so-and-so as your wife? Yes, and there's a sequence of of promises or vows they take. Does the Bible say that you are to do that? It's nowhere mentioned in the Bible that you are to stand, solemnize, as to do all those things. It's nowhere mentioned that you have to read those covenants. But it's a very good, it's a godly tradition that's passed on to us. And it's God glorifying. When the husband and wife comes and reads out the vows and makes a covenant with one another. I mean, when you look at these marriage covenants, the marriages especially of a, of a couple that's married for one week. They're madly in love with one another. 50 years after the marriage, if they're still loving the Lord, they actually know each other so much that when one person is simply sitting, the other person can say what the other guy is thinking. There's so much they've grown and they have, they have honored that wow that they took with one another. The covenant is glorified. I mean, they have, they're totally living the covenant that they're taking with each other. How much more the covenant that we took with our Lord, Jesus Christ, because he's coming one day for his bride. How much more that we have to know him, learn about him. So when someone comes with a false teaching or something on the spot, they can say, oh, that's wrong. That's nonsense. We don't need to 
listen through all kinds of weird teaching, weird stuff we see in the TV and fall for it. Because you're growing in him, you know him more. Just like in a lie, in, a, in an earthly way, how a husband and wife grow. The relation with a husband and wife, that covenant is an awesome example that shows the kind of covenant we need to have with our Lord. Now, the covenant that the parents have towards kids. Again, kids are a gift to are a gift to the they have a kids are a gift to parents from the God from God, and it's the parents' responsibility to be wise stewards. I mean, you can't just treat just because I have two small kids, I can't treat them like pets. There's a I have a responsibility. It's a gift given to me from God, and I and I serve them like how God wants me to serve as parents. So there's a covenant relationship. No matter what kind of sickness, no matter what. I have to serve them because they are God's gift. So these are two examples of the relation which parents have with kids and husband and wife have. These are two kinds of covenants that we see. Once we understand and also as we see in New Testament, in the Old Testament, the covenant that God has shown towards Israelites. That's, a, that's the kind of covenant that God expects New Testament believers like us. We need to renew the covenant that we have with our Lord. Now, having said that, I'm almost... In, nearing the message and I just want to ask you guys are you guys in a proper covenant relationship with your God I mean we shouldn't look at God as someone is coming and demanding he's like okay here I did all my uh, the work of salvation worship me worship me God deserves the glory he's sovereign he created even if we didn't exist even if there was no stancy God would do what he wanted to we are not the center of we are not the center of God's existence we are just team players when it comes to sharing the gospel he's just given us the privilege to plug in and be part of the team the a team if we call it so he's given us an awesome privilege to be children of the most high that is a supernatural thing it's an awesome privilege that we are given us so are we enjoying the relationship with our god do we love him the way he, he's supposed to be loved in our capacity and every time when we sin are we siding? Are we taking the other team? Because if we continue to sin, yes, at times sin happens, but are we repenting about it? Are we very repentful? Are we still clinging on, enjoying? Okay, it's like, okay, anyways, little sin, chalta rapture happens, everything will be fine. Are we like enjoying this? Because you must understand, every time you commit a sin, even before you sin, we need to keep in mind that Jesus Christ died for that too. He, his death on the cross was so important. So every time when we commit any sin or any sinful thoughts or even the pride that we have, we need to understand that Jesus Christ died. It's all for him. We exist for his glory. And let's not be deceived by the, by the devil. Don't switch teams because it's for this temporary sinful pleasure. Let's not switch teams. And also, let's also be mindful that are we in a covenant relationship with our church members? You know, there are some churches which have as part of the uh, doctrinal statement which you have to sign, there's some sense, same like marriage vows, they write this sentence, of covenant. I'm, I'm hereby going to be in a covenant relationship with our church, etc. It's on willful decision that you take. I mean, the, the question is not that whether we have it in this church, it's like, are you personally in your own deeper self willing to have a covenant relationship with your fellow believers? Are you willing to be sacrificial or instead of being self-centered, let's not look at this as a contractual agreement. Like, okay, I'll be here, David be there, let's do something together and run the church. Or do we have a covenant relationship with one another? Do we sacrificially serve one another? 
Because if God's people don't serve one another, then it's totally, what do you say, messed up. It doesn't make sense totally. Because once we love one another, God is glorified in it. God didn't come to save things or our, our positions. He came to serve, save you because he predestined. He's, because he was in his game plan long back. At the time of beginning, the, the Trinitarian God planned it long back. In conclusion, I'd like to read two verses from John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Loving one another, it sounds very, maybe just four words, but it is a sacrificial thing. And once you have a covenant relationship with God and with one another, once you have it with God, you will want to plug in to a church. In this church or which church, a local church. Why? Because you want to serve. You want to be part. You want to be, get your life accountable. It's not just, okay, I know the theory and let's chill. Nothing like that. You need to plug and serve because it involves work. And it's not easy. Jesus Christ came and died. That involved work. Because like, we need to be sacrificial instead of being self-centered in our thought process when it, com- thought process when it comes to serving one another. It has, to be a co- it has to be a deeper meaning. It shouldn't be like, yes, the friend of mine which I said in my company, that issue was long back. Now we are very pally-pally. And we live, ha- live happily ever after maybe. But it's not the case with us believers. We are going to be together in eternity. The relationship has to be deep. I mean, I know many, a few people in our, in our church also, guys who are so, maybe they don't openly say, let's have covenant relationship. No. But their lives are so close Someone used to joke that, okay, are these two guys married? Once upon a time, I heard in front of say that. They love each other, they serve, they pray together, and they grow in the Lord together. They're still, it's awesome. The world will not understand it. The world looks at it and says, ah, oh, they are those cases. But we, it's, it's a different thing when we do it ourselves, especially, I had a friend, I, I know the person is here, he knows what I'm talking about. People is joking, saying, are you both having some spelling mistake? They used to laugh it out. They serve, love one another. Both are happily married. That's another story now. It is an awesome, even though I know many girls also do that now. That's a blessed thing. Let's have a relationship with one another. That actually means sacrifice, not just for the sake of it, because that's what's worth dying for. That's why God came into this world to save a generation of people for him, for the glory of him. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we praise you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, for saving us, Lord. Help us, Lord, to live lives that's totally worthy of your calling. Forgive us for being self-centered at times and, and not understanding what your love is all about. Help us to, in our, in our time today or whenever, help us to renew our covenant to you because we love you. Thank you for the great and awesome death on the cross. Help us to love one another. Help us to serve one another. And all the more, help us to love you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have done and the blessings you have bestowed on us, Lord. We praise you and thank you. In the most precious name we pray. Amen.